welcome to Vineyard KC West podcast. For more information, visit us at vineyardkcwest.com. So we're starting, uh, it's an eight-week series through, through Moses, and so we're doing it in partnership with another Vineyard Church, and so uh, we're going to have some of their teachers here, and, and I'm going to go teach there, and, and so it's going to be a really good series uh, as we walk through it. And so, but why on the person of Moses? Like, why would we go through a series on Moses? Well, uh, in the book of Exodus, which is what we'll be planting ourselves in, so if you have a Bible or an app, you can work your way there. Uh, in the book of Exodus, we see God working on a macro level in the world, in space and time. And we need to see that, right? Like we need to know that God is doing stuff in time and space still, right? And I say still because the focus with God can end up being that he's an idea or he's history. And I kind of meet and celebrate him. Like, it's all past. There's tons to celebrate about God in the past, but he's here now. He's living, he's active. And so we see Moses interact with God and these people, his people, Israel, interact with God. And we see him working in the world to go against injustice and go against all sorts of things. And so that's powerful. But we also, as we look in the global circumstances that God addresses in Exodus, we see too that the global circumstances, that they're like a roller coaster. And so you don't want to live in the global circumstances of the world, like the macro things, right? There's a great economy. There's a bad economy. There's a plague. There's no plague. Everything's healthy. Everything's good. Everything's not good. Like you don't want to follow that trend for your life and plant yourself and live there. And then the other thing that we need to do this Moses series for is that I need to know, and you need to know that God's working in your individual life, that God is working in you. Like he, he specifically, yes, he saved you. He died for you. He rose from the grave for you. He sent the Holy Spirit to live in you, but now he's doing stuff in you now. Like he, he is, he is, he is uh, so present in your every moment. He's with you and working in you. And so we see that in Moses as we go throughout this series. But, but even then, Moses' individual circumstances, he's a great leader. He's, he's probably the greatest leader that's ever lived. To lead two million people through the desert complaining. I mean, come on, right? You know, and, and only a few times he says, oh, the people you gave me, right? But the highs and lows of Moses' life, like when he does well or doesn't do well, like that's that's too volatile to camp out and live there too. Like your personal successes or, or your business doing well or your business not doing well or your relationship doing well, your relationship not doing well. Like that's too volatile to camp out there and, and live there. And so there, what we need to do and throughout this, this series is we're going to move from living in circumstances to living in the identity that we have in God. The New Testament calls it like being in Christ. So if you're in Christ, like that's the mode you're in, right? Uh, you're, 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 in this, you're, you're in this place. We, my family and I took a vacation a while back. We have three teenagers. And so traveling with three teenagers is always interesting. And, and we, we, my wife and I celebrated our 20th anniversary. And so we went to Hawaii. We saved up for a few years, got the trip and did it. And, and we just told the boys, look, 
we're going to be here for a week, so it doesn't matter. If something goes bad or it's not good, we're not going to say, we're not going to complain. We're just not going to do it. We're going to say, we're going to say, oh man, that thing broke or, oh man, the plane is late or, oh man, the, the, you know, the car didn't pick us up or, oh man, the, this is broke. And then we would replace it with in Hawaii, right? So we're late in Hawaii. What a difference that makes. And that's the mindset of the Christian. It's like, there's this, but I'm in Christ, I'm in this place. And so that's why it's important for us to go into this, look at this person of Moses because of the macro issues and the micro issues and to move from circumstance to identity. So here's an introduction to the book of Exodus, okay? Today, we're going to look at position to calling. So we see that Moses is born like all the rest of us. Uh, he has a certain position in life that he really didn't do anything for. It was just you were born into this family in this place at this time, and that's position in life. We develop positions in life, but for the most part, we start a certain place. And then we want, that's the circumstance. What we want to move is to calling, the calling that God has for us. So the book of Exodus, Moses is the author. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, those five books, the Pentateuch, they call it, it Moses wrote those five books. And so you're like, wait a minute. If you're paying attention, Moses wasn't born until Exodus, per se. So how was Genesis written? Well, they had this rich oral tradition that they would pass down the stories of what God did in, 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 their, in their people throughout this time. And so Moses took those stories and he, he wrote these, these five books. And, and then some was recorded. Um, Exodus continues the, uh, the Genesis, the beginning. It continues the work of God throughout these people. And so what you see in Genesis is you see it's, it's kind of a mess. Like God creates everything, starts everything. People mess it up pretty quick. It goes bad. I mean, just in the third chapter. I mean, it, it just, it goes, it goes really bad right away, right? And so, but you see God say, I'm going to make it right. I'm going to do it. So it's his promise. And so if you ever want a good Bible study, follow the idea of promise in the Old Testament. All throughout, you see that God is just laser-like focused on making things right between humans and himself and between humans and humans. And so, but then Genesis 11, right? You see everything's still going bad. The people are building this great tower, uh, you know, and they're still just all about themselves. Everything looks really bad. But then Genesis 12, all of a sudden God says, there's my guy, Abram. And he calls to this person, Abram, and he decides that's how I'm going to make things right between myself and people is I'm going to work through this first, this person, and I'm going to build a people through him. So it's Genesis 12, three, he tells Abram, he says, all the families on earth will be blessed through you. And so that's a big statement. And so it's saying not just your little tribe, but I'm going to bring what we would end up calling the Messiah through your people, okay? And then what we see is, is Genesis 15, verse 5, a few chapters later, years later, it says, Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And so God's building this thing that he's going to build a people out of them. But it's just not one nation, but it's going to be all the people of the earth that would believe in God by faith like Abram did. And then Genesis 15, 13, it says this. Then the Lord said to Abram, you can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. So God tells him ahead of time, look, these people that I'm building 
are going to end up in this place, okay, Egypt, and they're going to be enslaved for 400 years. But don't fret. I've got it. I'm going to take care of it. And if you've read Genesis, you, you know the story is that uh, Joseph, uh, one, of the, one of the sons of Jacob, um, he, he ends up getting sold into slavery by his brothers, and he goes through this whole battle and, and you see God fulfilling his promise through it. He ends up being the second in command in all of Egypt. And then his brothers have to come and like bow before him, right? Like what younger brother doesn't want that, right? But, but what happens then is, is that there's a great famine in, in all of the people. And I am leaving out details. You can read it. But they come and then there's about 70 people in all of the people of Abraham. And then those 70 people camp out and they're safe in Israel. But then what happens is, is that in verse 14, it says, but I will punish the nation that enslaves them. And in the end, they will come away with great wealth. And so he's saying, look, I'm going to work this out. But these 70 people grow into a great number of people that at the time of the Exodus, the leaving of Egypt into the promised land, there was probably possibly 1.5 to 2 million people just a large number of people. So the Egyptians were very threatened by this. The Pharaoh was threatened by this. He didn't know Joseph. There was enough time that passed. And he's like, hey, we need to get control of these people. So they enslaved them. And then so that was all happening uh, in this time, in, in this space. And so Exodus, that's all in Genesis, right? And then they start to get enslaved. Exodus begins with listing the names of the people that went into the land. There's about 70 and they grew. And then um, even though they oppressed and enslaved the Israelites, they continued to grow. They were just strong. God showed favor upon them. To the point that the Pharaoh decided that he would um, have the boys of the Israelites killed. And, uh, and, and that didn't work, the first part of that plan. And then he said, look, if any Israelite boy is born, throw them into the Nile River. And so this is bad stuff. But the midwives and the, and the people were trying to fight back and not do this. And so Moses is born into that. And so I want you to hear this verse, though. This is at the end of chapter 2, which we'll look at next week. But it gives context to what's happening macro in this world. Exodus 2, verse 24 through 25, it says, God heard their groaning. So this, the Israelites that were enslaved. He heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel and knew it was time to act. Okay, so that's the context. As Moses is born into this, God has said for 400 years, this is going to happen, but then I'm going to act and rescue them. So the time is now. Enter Moses, this person that's born into that. Let's read in Exodus chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. About this time, a man and woman from the tribe of Levi got married. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw that he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. She put the baby in the basket and laid it among the, the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. The baby's sister then stood at a distance, watching to see what would happen to him. Soon Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the river and her attendants walked along the river bank. When the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it for her. Isn't this amazing? Just pause real quick. Just, I mean, you, I mean, there's nothing better on TV or books out there than this. I mean, you know, you see this, this, what could happen and what could go bad, but God is navigating all of this. 
In verse 6, it says, When the princess opened it, she saw the baby, the little boy was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. Then the baby's sister approached the princess. Should I go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you, she asked. Yes, do, the princess replied. So the girl went and called the baby's mother. Wow. How, isn't that amazing? Take this baby and nurse him for me. The princess told the baby's mother, I will pay you for your help. So the woman took her baby home and nursed him. Later, when the boy was older, his mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him as her own son. The princess named him Moses, for she explained, I lifted him out of the water. What a story. What a story. You, you have danger. You, you have surrender. But then receiving back. You'll notice that this, this, this passage, even here, uh, points that Moses is kind of a forerunner or a foreshadowing of Christ. Right? You, you see right away that he's put into the Nile like the rest of them. Like Jesus was crucified and it looks like death is coming and yet there's resurrection that comes. And so Moses, even before he can do anything, you see God working in his life to bring this greater story. And so think about Moses as far as position, right? Moses straddled two positions in life. He would live his life as an Israelite till two, three years old. Sometimes they would nurse them till three years old. And under the circumstances, I mean, maybe he was 13. I don't know. I mean, just like, just like, you know, you can't have him until he's 13. But you know what I mean? She has to surrender him to, to, um, to the Egyptian, to the princess, right? So he's living amongst the slaves. He has these memories, the, the Israelite slaves. But then now he's this Israelite. So he, he, he's straddling these two worlds as far as identity. Uh, am I an Israelite? Am, am I a, an Egyptian? Am, am, I, am I a slave? Or am I royalty? These are the two worlds that he's struggling with for identity. He really doesn't know who he is or who he wants to be. Which should I choose? He probably often asks those questions. Who am I and who will I be? Anybody ask those lately? Right? I, when I was a teenager, I'm like, man, I can't wait till I'm in my 20s and I've got this all figured out. You know, and then my 30s. And now that I'm in my 40s, I'm like, I, I give up. You know, I'm just, I'm just on a journey. I'm just on a journey. My, my father-in-law, um, he said to me once, he goes, getting to know yourself is, is the hardest thing you'll ever do. Like getting to know who you are and, and understanding your journey and what made you who you are is the hardest thing you'll ever do. And so that's the journey that Moses is on and it's this position that he's in. And so it's not so easy. You're like, well, Somebody may say, well, be an Israelite, of course. Well, or be an Egyptian, of course. I mean, be royalty. Well, be a slave, be amongst the people. I mean, that's who you really are. Be that. Well, or be a prince. Possibly be Pharaoh, possibly be king. The choices are tough. Anytime you say yes to something, you're saying no to tons of stuff. That's why uh, Warren Buffett and lots of different leaders, they'll say that the, 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 biggest, the biggest characteristic that great leaders have or, or successful people have is this, is that the ability to say no. Say yes to the most important thing and say no to that. But Moses is talking about his very being, his position in life. So 
living out of position is, is really unoriginal, actually. And so the struggle and the noise of like, you know, what should I be? What should I become? Like all that stuff, like living in that circumstance, I'm great. I'm not great. I'm successful. I'm this. It, it, it's actually a trap. I mean, you do it and you invite God into it and you ask for his help and all those things, but it's actually the sideshow. Like I grew out in the country in, in central California and always the state fair was near me and, and you had the main stage and then you had like Joe Buck Bob and his dog and you know a banjo made out of a tin can down the road, right? That was the sideshow. That's like position really. But we elevate position so high in life. And actually, most of our strife in the world actually comes out of people living out of their position, living out of their place and making it the place that they live in and, and making their identity in that instead of identity with God. I mean, position has to do with power. It has to do with nationality. It has to do with race. It has to do with gender. It has to do with rich or poor, beauty. It has to do with athleticism. It has to do with intellect or name. That's all positional stuff. And so when people choose to live just in this identity of like my position, that's where we see sin. That's where we see like when we just camp out and say, this is all that there is. I'm going to camp out here. That's where we see trouble in the world. So because position is really inflexible. Like when I choose it, well, I'm this. Well, then what if somebody comes up against that? right? I mean, we know that God is involved in our lives and he chooses where we live and when we live. And so you're exactly who you are. You were born to the exact parents you're supposed to have and in all of those things. And so there's joy in that. There's intention, but it's like a vehicle, right? I mean, if you have a home, you don't live in your car. And so your position in life is the vehicle that you wander around and move in, but you have a home and it's called relationship with Christ. And so don't live in your position because we typically manipulate when we live in our position. We typically are insecure when we're in our position. We typically ostracize others or, or use the differences that other people have against them, or they use it against us when we use position. And so Colossians chapter 3, verse 11 in the New Testament, it hints at this idea of calling instead of position. And it's the rejection that when we come to Christ, we actually reject being identified by position. So Colossians 3.11 says, in this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free, Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. That's the calling that there is. That's the place to be in that place of moving from position to calling. But position is comfortable. And so we need a guide to bring us there, enter Jesus, right? Philippians chapter two speaks of Jesus. It says that even though he was God, you know, even though he's with God, even though he's the son of God with the father and with the Holy Spirit, it says that he didn't, he, he didn't want to stay in that place, his position, that he humbled himself, that he humbled himself and became even a human and even humbled himself that he died a death on a cross for you and I. He rejected his position 
to the calling that he had, which was to be the savior of all the world. So Jesus shows us the way and leads us there. When we look at calling, uh, calling is who God made us to be in what he made us to do. So it's not just a being, but it's also a doing. But we're first called into relationship with God. And here's an important thing. Like, because in the West, and maybe other places too, but we're in the West. In the West, the word vocation has been hijacked by it means our job, right? So like even in school, like it says, um, you know, I remember being a senior in high school and they did vocational training. You plug all this stuff into a computer and it tells you, you know, I was supposed to be, I think, like a park ranger, you know, something like that. And I love the outdoors and I love all those things. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I don't know how that relates. Uh, you know, but, and then I remember one of my sons that got, well, he was going to be, uh, you know, this, and it was just this oddball thing. And it's like, what? It makes no sense. So we do vocational training, which trains us, we think for a job, but the, the actual Latin word vocare, where we get the word vocation, it actually means calling. Like it means like what you were made to be. Like when God formed you in your mother's womb, he was like, I'm calling Steve to be this. This is what I'm making you for. This thing here, right? When somebody designs something, they design it for a purpose. The chair that you're sitting in, it is fulfilling its purpose today. It's fulfilling its calling because it's keeping you comfortable. It's giving you a place to sit down. And so when God made you, he had a calling for you. And each one is is unique, I heard a pastor say that when his kids were little, he would whisper to them at night in their bed, he'd say, God has something special for you. And at first I heard him like, well, is that going to create a complex? It's like, no, it's true. You are special. God has something special for your life and what you're going to do and who you're going to be. And so we move from position to calling. So our first and highest calling is to be in a dynamic relationship with God. Dynamic, why? Because dynamic means that it's, it's growing, it's moving, it's pulsing, right? It, it's, not this, it's not this looking at this figure or this idea of God and reading about what he did in the past, but it's like right now. Right now, God is here in this time, in this space. In the Old Testament, they, they called Bethel, right? The house of God. It's, it's, it's saying that I'm called to be in the house of God with God wherever I go, that Bethel is wherever I go. That's our, our first and highest calling. And so if you're confused by life today, if you're needing wisdom today, if you're wanting to know what to do, the first thing to do is to surrender your life to God, is to be in relationship with God is to go to him with all that you have. You know, I think that one big thing that we need in the world today is we need wisdom. We need wisdom. There's so many things to navigate, and, and that's really what we want. Like, when you look at a leader, or you're looking at somebody to lead you, or you're looking at it, like, you know, whether on the national level or the world level, or that sort of thing, you want somebody with wisdom. The Bible says that God created wisdom, but it also says that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, is to put God in his rightful place and to put myself in my rightful place. And so if you want wisdom, if you want to live a good life, if you're trying to figure out how to do this, put God first in your life, be in relationship with him, be in your calling first in that place. And that's too, you say, well, yeah, I did that long time ago. 
Well, sometimes we can get too far into doing and forget that really it has to do with being. Like, I do out of relationship with God. That's what we see Jesus do. He'd go, he'd spend time with the Father, and then he'd go amongst the people. He'd get ministered to and spend time with the Father, receive life, and he'd give that life to other people. That's what we're supposed to do as well. And so you see Jesus communicate the heart of God in the New Testament. He says this, he says in Matthew 11, verse 28, then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. And the idea was, it's like they were, there were all these yokes of religion and like, you have to put this on you to do this and put this on you to do this, right? You guys get that, right? I mean, you probably feel that pressure in your life now. Like, man, if I, if I want to be successful, I've got to do this. Or if I want to do this, I've got to do this. And if I got to do this, I got to play this game. And, and Jesus says to you like, hey, if you're tired of playing games, I mean, you got to work hard in life. I mean, if you want something, you've got to persevere. You've got to put effort out. You've got to work hard. Nothing comes easy. Like you've got to do that. But Jesus says, like, hey, why don't you come to me and do this with me? You know, and invite me, invite me into your life. Invite me into what you're doing. Uh, when I was 20-something, I, uh, I, I was a stockbroker, financial consultant for a period of time. And, and I don't know that I really understood this. Like, football and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, God, you love football. You know, so you're on the football field with me. But I was taking this test. And I thought it was like all on me, just my theology was a little off. And so I'm sitting there getting ready the morning of this test. And I'm like, man, I hope I pass this test because they told me nobody ever failed the test at this firm, you know, and like, oh man. And so I'm getting ready and I'm, I'm just sitting there talking to the Lord. I'm like, hey, and, and the Lord says, hey, you going to invite me into this process? I mean, and I'm like, you take tests? <laughs> you know, do you know the answers? Okay. And so, so I walked through this thing and I'm like, absolutely, Lord, come on in. And so I just kind of surrendered the whole thing to him and, and I got get done. It was on a computer. And so I pressed done, printed it. And, and I'm like, and it's supposed to tell you your score right away. And, and, um, and, and so it, I pressed the button and it comes up with on the screen, it says 70%. And I'm like, well, I know the minimum that I have to get to pass, but what's my score? You know, well, my score was 70%, right? And so like, yes, you know, and so, so I invited God into it, right? Like God wants to be right in the middle of all of those things. Jesus says, come to me and bring that stuff with you. So this is who we are, is that, is that we get to be children of God. That's our calling. In the first chapter of John, it says that all who believed, he gave the right to be children of God. And you say, wait, 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 wait. I thought all people were children of God. Absolutely. But not all are in relationship with the Father. Some are running off saying, I don't need you. I'm good. And so when we believe in Jesus Christ, we now are in relationship with him and walking with him and knowing him. And we get the benefits of being children. We absolutely, like my kids right now, like I said, they're all three teenagers and my wife's like, stop telling them to eat because they're just like these ever growing people. Like my, my senior in high school, he ate the junior, like no joke. He, he put on 40 pounds from, from like six months ago and, and like muscle bulked up. I mean, we had to widen the door, you know, everything else. It's just, it's crazy, right? And so what happens is, is when, we, when they were kids, I'm like, oh, they didn't finish it. I'll finish that for you. And now it's like, we'll be at the table. I'm like, so how's it going, guys? Just starting the conversation. Like, dad, I'm done. Can I have yours? I'm like, sure. Just, it's just like, they just eat, right? Uh, and so, so that's the benefit of being a child. 
right? And that's God's heart for you. He's just like, yeah, I have everything that I have. I have everything for you. I mean, think about that. You lack nothing today if you're in relationship with the Father. Because everything he has, and he has everything, you have. But it's only through relationship. It's not this thing where he doesn't want a business transaction. He doesn't want the thing like, hey, you know, can we sign this contract? I want to sign up for this period of time. He's not interested in that. He's interested in this intimate, personal relationship with you as a child to a father. So Moses had this tension between his positions in life. And in that tension, he discovered his calling. And, and what he discovered was that there's a doing that what had happened. So I think that God spoke to him as a teenager or as a young adult. And he shared with him like, look, I'm going to rescue my people. See the injustice of my people. I'm going to do this and you're going to play a part. Now we'll see next week that Moses got it wrong. The timing in the mode that was supposed to be done. But what we'll see is, is that he sensed a partnership with God. And so he got into the doing of that. And the reason that there's always a doing with God not just a being and a child, is because God is a working God. God is a God that's on the move. And so if we know him, we get on the move with him. And it's not a straight line like, okay, I'm with him, then I do this. It's always going back and forth. It's, it, 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 it's, it's a cyclical thing. We always will be in process with that. You will not experience the intimacy with God that you desire and want unless you're in movement with God. And you say, well, what do you mean? Well, it's, I know for me, sometimes I'll be like, God, where are you? And he's like, I want you to go serve that person. I want you to go help that person. I'm like, well, God, I need, he's like, I'm over here. Go over there. You're going to find what you're looking for over there. Because in the midst of you meeting this person's need, I'm going to meet you in that place of intimacy. And then you're going to bring it back to this place where you just want to be. And so God will work that way. And then sometimes too, God says, hey, I want you to pull back out of the, the war. I want you to pull back out of the activity and I want you just to rest. I'm like, well, God, I just want to do. And he's like, yeah, you've been doing too much and you need to do it with me because it's a little bit too much of you. So I just want you to sit. Your identity is too much in that. And so there's this, this dynamic relationship that's rooted and intimate with God so Moses, Moses is mo, much of his uh, position to calling was internal. So right here, we don't see all that stuff. But we see it come out next week as he tries to walk in this relationship with God. And so for you guys, I mean, your position, uh, something good to do is to think through, like, well, what are, what are my positions in life? You know, like that list we went through, you know, like power and name and, and gender and, 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 and uh, you know, rich or poor or, um, you know, uh, beautiful or, or not or athletic or not, all these things. And some of those are just labels. It's like, well, who's to say? But they're positions if we live out of those, you know, uh, are you on the roller coaster of following positions and you just, it's just volatile and you feel good if it's good, if not, if it's not. So maybe spend some time uh, taking inventory of your life, taking inventory of your emotions and, 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 and are they that volatile based upon your performance or your position? A good way to take inventory is to, is to track where your time, your energy, and your money goes. 
Take a look at where your time, energy, and money goes. Those are your resources that you have. And you will see how much you're living in position versus calling. Time, energy, and money. You may write that down. I do that every so often. And I'll look and I'll say, wow, I'm way over here. Or gosh, Lord, I'm, I'm sitting okay in this place. The next thing is, is, um, is uh, take 10. Take 10 minutes. And I was doing this yesterday several times. Take 10 minutes. <clears throat> and I want you to do this. Is say something that maybe you need to say to the Lord. Just keep it real simple. It's not a list. It's not a grocery list, but it's just simple. Find 10 minutes. Spend a few minutes just saying what you think you need to say to the Lord. Because there is something that you maybe need to say that you haven't said. Okay? And then listen and then ask this question. Which is, who are you to him? Like, how does he see you? You may have never asked that before. It's just all been general. You know, it's general. God loves people. God loves you. But then there's this thing, God, how do you see me? Who, who am I to you? And listen. And don't, don't work super hard at it and come with these, you know, okay, let me have it, okay? But just, just chill out and just ask and listen. He'll speak to you. He's right there. That's his heart. We're going to have uh, Nikki come back up and, and lead us in another song. Um, next Sunday, we're going to be looking at how Moses moves from pride to humility. And so the, the scripture, Exodus 2, 11 through 25, read that ahead. Read that ahead. Soak yourself in the story so that when you come and you hear uh, online or here, you actually kind of sit down into it and you've already been there and you visit and you see more and more. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit vineyardkcwest.com.